Welcome to the Series Leisure Podcast. My name is Petya Petrova. I'm your host for today's podcast. Each episode features guests and their stories of remarkable, humorous, and often unexpected experiences that happen when we get serious about leisure. We interpret and examine these experiences through the lens of Robert Stebbins' landmark concept of serious leisure. Our conversations with our guests and regular contributors help us understand and hopefully reevaluate the place of leisure in our lives. Today, I'm joined by our podcast contributors, Dr. Sam Elkington and Kat Branch. Sam is from Teesside University. He is our serious leisure expert. Welcome, Sam. Thank you, Petia. Pleasure to be here as always. Kat leads the University of the West of England Centre for Music. Welcome, Kat. Good afternoon, everybody. For those of you new to the podcast, welcome. Thank you for joining us. And our quest for a balanced life. You may notice that we often abbreviate the University of the West of England to UE. We are very excited to welcome today our two podcast guests, Dr. Harriet Short and Dr. Rob Grieve. Harriet is an Associate Professor in Organization Studies at UE's Faculty of Business and Law. Welcome, Harriet. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. Lovely to be here. Rob is a Senior Lecturer in Physiotherapy at UE's Faculty of Health and Social Sciences. Welcome, Rob. Um, hello, everybody. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us for today's Friday afternoon conversation on serious leisure. As typical for um, those of you who listen regularly, we start with the professional context and professional roles of our guests. I would ask um, Rob and Harriet to introduce themselves and just what their roles at UE currently involve. Can I start with Harriet, please? Sure. Um, so I am an associate professor in organisation studies, as you said. So I, I work in uh, the organisation studies cluster in Bristol Business School. Uh, in the Faculty of Business and Law. Um, I've got two core research interests. So part of my role is very research orientated. And um, so I do research on uh, the lived experience of workplaces and spaces. So I'm interested in the materiality of work and how our workplace environments impact our everyday lives. And then my other research uh, interest is that of visual methods. Um, so I'm interested in using visual and arts-based methods to explore people's experiences of work. My role also includes business engagement work, so I do a lot with uh, CPD and our executive education team. Um, I also head up the faculty um, faculty's apprenticeship scheme, so uh, looking after all of our apprenticeship programmes. So a bit of teaching, a bit of research, a um, bit of business engagement, that's, uh, that's my role. Sounds a little busy. <laughs> um, for, for listeners, Harriet is nodding for quite seriously at the moment. Rob, can you tell us a little about your role, please? Right, yeah. So I'm a senior lecturer in uh, physiotherapy. Um, I've been at UE since 2002. I'm basically involved in a teaching, the research, and I have also been more sort of active um, since 2015 in supporting uh, students with a fear of public speaking. Now, I'm sure, I'm sure you can hear I'm not the most fluent person. Um, and as a lecturer, I had a lot of challenges in actually speaking to large groups of 
um, students. And that in turn actually in inspired me to, I suppose, recognize the challenges that many of our students have in um, actually having to speak uh, publicly. But that's just very sort of uh, briefly my role. Thanks, Rob. And knowing Rob, he actually um, abbreviated a fair bit of what he does at UE and, and in his uh, role, which I'm sure will come through in, in different ways um, during this conversation. We um, start this podcast with what you do for a living um, and what your role involves, but we also start with the origin stories of your serious leisure pursuits. Um, I wasn't quite sure what to, um, to, to title these pursuits today. So for the purposes of our audience, we just call them serious artistic pursuits today. And we'll find out a little more about it in a moment. So we'll start with Rob this time, if that's okay. And just ask Rob to tell us where and how his journey engaging with the arts uh, and particularly with drawing started um, and where we find that journey at the moment and potentially where it is going next, please. Rob. Right, yeah. So um, I have always been a bit of a, a frustrated um, cartoonist. Um, I started doing um, cartoons in my early uh, 20s. I then thought about going to um, art school, but actually thought that I just really didn't have the, the skills um, so during all of my working life, I've been quite sort of involved in, um, I've actually sort of moved on now. So I've been quite involved in uh, printmaking, also been quite involved in um, painting. Um, I've got a small sort of studio stroke sort of shed um, in the back of the garden. And that's my sort of space because after a period of time, the dining room a table became a bit um, cluttered and you can imagine the chaos with um, easels and um, scalpel blades and sort of ink and all of that that kind of sort of sort of thing i am a member of the bath society of um, artists i was um, elected in 2019 and i've been involved in um, exhibitions at the um, victoria art gallery for the last um, five years i've also been sort of doing more and um, painting so that's also been a bit of a move from the actual printmaking. But then again, the whole sort of mark making in um, liner cuts, I suppose you could actually transfer that to a painting. Um, and then I also had a piece um, accepted when, um, when we're talking about the links with work at the World um, Congress of Physical Therapies in um, Singapore 2015. I had a, I actually won the first prize for a drawing. So that was, so these are all sort of um, validations, uh, I, I suppose, but really for sort of me, the real key is the whole aspect of um, creating art. So, you know, if it's recognized, I suppose that's a, uh, a bonus, but that's not the main aim. For me, it's a, an outlet. Thank you. That's very impressive and, and, and very interesting um, how you have started your passion from school age that didn't quite go into a professional route, but somehow it did. <laughs> um, so not initially, but you kind of kept at it and it became a semi-professional route with, with exhibitions, um, etc. Et we'll delve into that um, 
a fair bit in a moment. But um, I would like to find out a bit more about Harriet's um, history with the arts. And I would leave it at that because similarly to Rob, we, we're talking cartoon, <laughs> being a cartoonist, print, printmaking, painting. Um, so, so it's just difficult to pin it down to one thing. So Harriet, tell us about you, please. Yeah, so I was giving this some thought and um, before the podcast, and I mean, really, the the origins I think are, are my parents. Um, this is very much my sort of artistic, creative, aesthetic appreciation for things um, comes from my parents, who are both artists. My mum's a fine artist and illustrator, and my dad's a graphic designer. Um, so I guess I've always been surrounded by art, design, fabric, um, interior design conversations about wallpaper and the colours of carpets and that kind of thing. Um, so I think there was definitely some sort of osmosis situation going on where I kind of absorbed um, some sort of aesthetic awareness. And I always enjoyed um, drawing and painting um, as a child. Um, and um, my only claim to fame really <laughs> pales into insignificance with Rob, but um, I won the WH Smith Christmas card design competition about five years in a row um, when I was about, um, I don't know, maybe seven to, um, yeah, when I was a bit older and not really interested in it anymore, <laughs> but I uh, kept uh, drawing designs for Christmas cards and winning. So uh, I met, you know, Bob Holness and Andy Peters and Jane Asher at various events um, to celebrate the artwork. But um, but really, I was a maker of things. I wanted to make things. I was interested in mixed media and fabric. And um, so I didn't really sort of follow my parents sort of interests um, or their, I guess their skills. Um, I was kind of interested in uh, three-dimensional things. So I had a fantastic art teacher at GCSE, and I think um, I'm sure lots of listeners and, and, and we as a team can sort of relate to getting a good teacher, I think, early on, um, makes such a difference. And she really encouraged me to embrace this idea of making stuff. So I, I made a big wire Icarus for my GCSE art and... Um, like Rob did some printing and lino cutting for feathers and you, you use lots of different approaches and I really loved that and I made a fabric fish which I've still got framed somewhere um and I, I loved that but at a level um and I was thinking about going into art school and obviously I was surrounded by this um influence but a level had a really big teacher um who only really wanted us as a class to work in oils and work big and that was just really far removed from, from where I was and my passion. So I think my creativity was lost there. And I think at that point as well, looking back, you don't necessarily want to do what your parents did. And um, I mean, it's ironic that, you know, my mum taught and was an artist and I sort of veered away from that. And then of course, have come back round and now I, indeed I do teach. And um, I'd consider myself sort of maybe half an artist. Um, but I, I really let that lie and that creative side die for quite a long time until I started my PhD um, in 2005. And over those first couple of years, I came across visual and arts based methods. And that really appealed to me that all of a sudden you could use art, the arts in some way as um, as a route to investigating what it was you were going to investigate. And that was 
fantastic. Not viewed that well by the business school I was in, <laughs> I have to say. Um, but I had a fantastic supervisor, again, great cheerleader from the side saying, yep, go for it, try it. And then, um, so I think my creativity kind of started to come back then. And then at the after submitting my PhD thesis, before my Viva, I had about three or four months um, where I didn't want to read my thesis again because that was just awful. I did not want to do that again. I had had enough. So I um, was compelled, uh, having visited um, a, a quilt exhibition at the BNA, um, I was very inspired by Tracy Emin there, where quilts spoke of identity. Um, and I thought, OK, I feel like I need to make a quilt of what I've just spent the last four years doing. So I made a quilt of my PhD. It's in my office at, at UE on the French A campus, if anyone would like to come see it. Um, and uh, it hangs there proudly. And, and I think that PhD quilt really marked the beginning of me saying, OK, actually, I'm going to embrace the creative side of me. I think it's been lost for too long. Um, so very much went back to my creativity, creative side and visualising things and whether that was through work and through teaching and research or whether it was visualising making a quilt for a friend or making some fabric birds that said something about our friendship or whatever. So I find myself here now very much making space for that part of me, having lost it for, for a bit in the middle there. Thanks, Harriet. And thanks, Rob. Um, well, as you can imagine, we have a lot to unpack here and Kat is already keen and <laughs> desperate to come in. So Kat, do you want to ask your question, please? Thanks, Bessia. I was really struck, um, Harriet and Rob, in co the comments that both of you made, especially Harriet, in some of what you've just been talking about, about the very unique role of meaning making from what you've said about what you're doing. A lot of our guests have talked about um, the importance of leisure for relaxation and escape, and I expect we'll touch on those topics. But the meaning making aspect, when I think about that quilt in your office, Harriet, is really interesting. And I wonder if there's something unique about the visual arts that links to its use in this way to, to bring meaning. I mean, Rob, you talked about an outlet. And Harriet, you it just to make a quote from your PhD, that's such an unusual and extraordinary way of using your artistic skill. I wonder if either of you would just like to comment on, on this meaning making aspect and to what degree that drives your engagement with the visual arts and how important that is. Rob, did you want to start? Um, the whole thing about a meaning, and I think one of the things that we might also be talking about is um, perfection I think one of the things about art for sort of me art should be art for art's sake and I have real for me once again I have real sort of um, issues when we're asked to give a whole text about what our actual painting or what our work actually means and for me I really feel that art is such a subjective thing and that each person should be able to make their own impression of what that art means to them and also, I suppose you could also say what it means to the person who actually made it. Yes. OK. Yes, I, I, I understand that, Rob. I, I think, in fact, the meaning making I'm thinking of is exactly what you've just articulated, that sense of the producer of the art, so you as the artist um, expressing a significant meaning in what you're doing, not necessarily for someone looking at it to receive that. It's, it's moot. But actually that the act of uh, saying whatever it is you want to say that in itself is enough 
you know, which is quite interesting. It's it's not particularly about. Um, I mean, you listed an extraordinary amount of artistic achievements, Rob, in your opening section. But Sorry. I love that. No, not at all. It was, a, you know, an extraordinary list. But I was. Uh, but interestingly, you said that that was not the heart of it for you. It's actually doing it. It's actually making those pieces of art. And this is this is where I'm imagining that meaning is taking place. You as the artist are making yeah. something. Yeah, and what I think about Harriet making that quilt, it's that same thing. I'm not imagining Harriet would take that quilt to a discussion and say, well, if you look at this quilt, you'll then understand uh, various aspects. No, not, not at all. Yeah. The value there is in, is in fact the meaning that's come from the maker. I think one of the sort of problems I've often sort of had is, are you making art or is there meaning for you or are you making art that you know or think that other people will actually like? So there's this whole, I think, this whole sort of internal dialogue that I always have. But am I doing stuff? Should it be maybe more figurative? Should I be less um, abstract? Should I be doing work that might give meaning or I know that people might actually um, prefer? And that's for it's always been, I think, a real sort of struggle that's actually linked to the meaning of what this art actually means to, to a me. Quite curious having never engaged with any of the visual arts or artistic pursuits, it's never too late, I guess. Um, I was just wondering, Rob, when you have that, this internal dialogue, and do you then make an explicit choice? Are you mindful of today, I'm actually producing something that I think might be well received, or I have an external audience in mind? Uh, or today I'm just kind of letting go and, and expressing myself. Do, do you Are you mindful of one day leaning one way and the next day leading the other? And if you are, how does it feel engaging in these two different orientations, I guess, to, to you producing your art? It's a tricky one because uh, I've always found it quite sort of easy to do a figurative stuff but I've been trying to do more um, abstract work. And um, I don't know, there's a sort of a part of me that, 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 that actually thinks if I maybe did more of the sort of figurative work, I might get more sort of likes on um, Instagram as opposed to if I do some of the um, abstracts, you know, work. But, uh, you know, once again, and because there's always been that cartoonist um, in me, when I start doing the more sort of serious um, inverted commas sort of work I'm always suddenly sort of yeah tempted to do like a bit of a cartoon I think oh, hang on hang on you know so there's I've always I'm always sort of torn and I suppose maybe it's it's just the way I am I'm the sort of a jack of all trades a master of none I feel I can actually do uh, both of them but well you know well, once again there's always this actual internal conflict it's really interesting, Rob, and I, and I think some of that speaks to the heart of whether something, how 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 leisurely uh, something might be, and uh, to what degree it starts to cross into our professional identity. There, I wonder, Harriet, would you like to tell us a bit about this meaning-making aspect for you, and and bring some of your insight to this? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've sort of been nodding away there. I think the, um, I mean, certainly for me, when I was thinking back to when I made the the PhD quilt, I mean, it, it was for nobody um, but myself, um, because essentially I didn't want to read my thesis again. Um, I'm not really a text person. I'm obviously in entirely the wrong job um, because uh, I'm dyslexic and reading takes me longer. And so it's not ideal when academic worlds like mine in a business school are still very, very text-based, very text-driven. 
so I said, yes, I didn't want to read this thesis again. And I found it so linear. You know, I had this sort of 80,000 word document that was just very one page after another. And what I really needed to make sense of for myself was the the story. And I wanted to be able to tell the story and um, and visualize it. I am, as I've explained, a visual person. And that's I just got I've just got to see it. So it was a private problem solving exercise, I think, for me. Um, it was lovely. There was a horrible relaxation, sort of restorative part of playing with fabric and stitching and being still and not by a computer. But but sort of saying, okay, well, how would you, how would I represent my literature review? How would I how would I represent Foucault's panopticon, you know, in a button or something, you know, uh, I mean, you know, there's, there's a question. Um, so, uh, and how would I represent a broken, a broken sense of identity in a piece of fabric? So I like that whole problem solving aspect of it, but it was very much to be able to have this massive thing that you can hold up and say, okay, with that in front of me, I can totally talk about my thesis now. I can absolutely tell you what is going on, the decisions I made, and I've got visual prompts. Whereas, I mean, I write loads of notes, you know, when I go to meetings, I'm writing notes now. I never look back at them. I don't know why I do it. <laughs> it's not very helpful because I look at words and go, ah. Oh. Um, but actually, I want to see a picture and then I'm totally fine. Um, that's sort of making sense of the story of my PhD visually was very much mine but interestingly for me I think looking back was it was private and almost um I was almost embarrassed um didn't want to share it with anyone and so it was just for me and then it was only when my husband's best friend came over to our house and and saw it and was like oh that's fantastic like you should show people I was like oh uh, then I showed my supervisor who fortunately didn't think I'd lost the plot um before the Viber and he was he was like okay you can take it to the Viber and I thought what um and he said no you can take it to the Viber take it in a bag if there's a moment that's appropriate get it out and show them but feel the room first I was like okay so, so it did get seen eventually but it started off as yeah very much something for me it's interesting because it's so deeply personal. I, I wondered, Harriet, you know, how that felt creating something that you it was just a process for yourself. How did it feel while you were doing that? And what was what was that like for you when you completed it? There was something very restorative about it. As I said, there was something very um, not like anything I'd done for the last four years of writing a PhD and doing research. You know, it was um, it felt lovely to be sorting out buttons and thinking about fabric and ironing fabric and sewing and 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 sitting in different spaces in my house and sewing and so there was something really lovely about that it was there was something um sort of very reflective about it it was something very I guess there's something about identity in there about how I was sort of thinking about what the process that I'd just gone through uh, as a PhD student, um, but also reflecting on my work and actually what was important in the work. Um, and I found myself adding found objects to the edges of the quilt to kind of represent where I'd come from. Um, so I had a really, really crap job um, after my master's um, before uh, I did my PhD and, and travelled for a bit. Um, I had a really terrible job in retail 
um, that I was so miserable at and, and it was really awful and had a horrible boss. Um, but I've still, I still have my badge, you know, uh, the, like my staff badge. And I put that into the quilt because actually it was just symbolic of actually past, present, future self. Um, so, so yeah, um, there was something really important about thinking about me and, and having just gone through, I mean, anyone who's done a PhD will know it's quite a painful process <laughs> So, at times, um, joyful, but you know, uh, but yeah, it was important to me for me to reflect on that. Um, and it was great to have it finished. It was, it was a great piece. And then, uh, then I got brave and braver with sharing it. And then I realized other people might think a bit like me and actually, this whole visualizing thing is actually quite useful for people. Um, and it wasn't just me being weird. <laughs> Thanks, Harriet. I'm stopping myself from saying this, from saying this is so fascinating. Uh, <laughs> um, in the previous recording, you wouldn't know, but I referred to it. You can do um, a drinking game on how often I use the word fascinating in one of our recordings. Um, I'm really intrigued. First of all, I wish I had that artistic outlet after I finished my PhD and I, and I also found it quite a traumatic experience that you needed to somehow process and let go of um, so I think that's um, that's we should we should do that as an intervention after pe people's PhD survivors <laughs> or after they submit for sure the, the, the thing that I'm intrigued for in the context of the answers both of you gave is the expression of self but also the bravery, because their, the therapeutic, the letting go element, um, I can understand. I can understand the kind of the mindful, the pouring yourself into a piece of art. I can imagine and understand that as somebody who hasn't been, been engaged in the in the arts in that way. But there's a bit of bravery about then sharing it with others, and then starting to do it with the idea that you might share your art with others. Um, and there's a bit of bravery in claiming that identity as an artist in the act of sharing with that. So I was just wanted to ask you both to, to really tell me if you feel brave. I mean, Harriet, you said you felt brave in, in but, but with, with that piece and with other pieces. And if I can start again with, with Rob, please. Can, can you, Rob, do you feel that you're a brave person? For me, bravery was standing up in front of a hundred students giving a, a lecture. That for me was actually um, bravery. And that might've been linked to my speech. And by actually doing that lecturing, doing that thing that people find scary has really helped massively with my actual fluency as regard my um, artwork um i suppose one of the things that quite a few people say is i know you need to have a thick um, skin and you need to do the work that you feel has got a meaning something that you believe in even if others might not actually like it and it is also very difficult when you get negative feedback um, about your work um, but I think you know once again I think this actually just goes back to the whole thing if it is something you really believe in and something you're actually passionate uh, on or you know passionate excuse the Greek um, uh, 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 about I think that in a way sort of supersedes all the sort of bravery um, questions or bravery and um, challenges. 
Thanks, Rob. And I guess we all do develop a really thick skin whilst we're lecturing and we are open to critique and the gaze of others um, and feedback, etc. So, so it's interesting to think that um, our lecturing roles make us um, not so much braver, but just enable us to, to undertake other pursuits. And I will definitely take this with um, I've, I've spoken previously about my improv theatre journey that only started two or three years ago. Um, and sometimes people think it's quite scary, but I find it's, I have had scarier lectures and workshops than actually, you know, messing about in front of an audience and um, doing theatre. So, so it's interesting to think of it in, in that direction. We often talk about how our hobbies enable our skill sets for work and you're talking about it in the other direction. Harriet? Yeah, I think I think the, the, the bravery one's an interesting one um, and perhaps is one that for me has grown, it's sort of an incremental thing. So what started uh, with the quilt and was shared in the, in the Viva with my examiners and was received so well, and I guess there's that validation from others that plays a part here. So um, having um, having a positive reaction, um, I guess, you know, going back to Rob's point about sort of, you know, getting the feedback. I think it's that sort of relational dynamic, isn't it, between you, the artwork, other people, the audience, whoever might be involved in that. And that sort of helps to build this sense of bravery. I felt pretty brave ignoring um lots of other more, much more senior academics when I was a PhD student when I said that I was going to use photography in my as a research method which was then in business and management just like what are you doing that's so left field I mean sociologists anthropologists they've been doing it for years that's okay but because I was in a you know business school and it's sort of and I don't want to be disingenuous to sort of business schools but you know it's sort of seen as kind of serious you know it's sort of a serious place it's about business and organizations and that kind of thing and uh where I was doing my PhD you know it wasn't it wasn't it was pretty traditional it was a pretty pretty traditional business school and so the idea that um you'd be using visual methods and my PhD was on hairdressers so I think you know that was like really left field so they were just like what um so hairdressers for a start as a context um and then you're using um photography so but I, again, it was having that PhD supervisor, that research mentor who really sort of, sort of propelled me forward and then finding other people who were were sort of carving their path too. And I met Professor um, Samantha Warren um, at Portsmouth University and, and she'd been using visual methods. She and I are sort of our best buds and you know, write together all the time. But I remember meeting her and getting very drunk, talking about arts-based methods and wasn't it really fantastic? We're going to change the world, you know, business and management methodology and all this kind of thing. Um, but again, that relational thing was really important. And I just think for me, just being able to do little bits now and then um, and experimenting a bit with you, with your audiences. Um, you know, I took a mind map uh, that I'd drawn with pens, you know, on a piece of paper instead of a PowerPoint to a university validation panel for a new program um, the other week. And, and I wasn't laughed out the room and somebody else liked it. And actually it was really helpful for people to visualize certain aspects of the new program. So you, you just never know. Um, and it's all those little things I think that sort of knitted together have created a space where I'm now like, you know what, this is actually inherently part of who I am. 
And so I am going to embrace that and go with that. And um, yeah, I feel much braver than I, I did, you know, 15 years ago. It's really interesting, Harriet, how as you're talking, as you've rediscovered that part of your artistic identity that got smooshed down in your A-level experience, that as time's gone on, I was just listening to you speaking and how actually, in a way, you've kind of woven these two identities back together. You know, that's what I'm hearing, a sense of your professional self who's just been carrying on this whole time and then you kind of re-resuscitated artistic self and now you're kind of intersecting the two which is which is fantastic it's just kind of life goals for um those of us who are listening just to say I feel really lucky to have been able to do that because I don't think um it's easy or common for us to be able to find ways to knit together a professional self and then other parts of who we are or what we're passionate about and so to be able to do that um and you know I, I think is a really lucky thing to be able to do and I'm always up for exploring that further as my career progresses um I mean my first job was at UE and I have to give UE credit here for allowing me you know if I don't know if that's the right word but giving me space to to do that because it was uh maybe a few months from my viva when I got my job at UE as a lecturer and it was my first boss who said to me I said oh do you think I could use objects and pictures in this seminar class? You know, is that too weird? And is that a bit, mm. um, and unlike where I'd come from, where it was kind of really traditional, my first boss at UE, um, Graham Baker said, no, do it. Great. Sounds fantastic. Do it. And if it doesn't work, don't do it again. We'll try something else. And he was just so cool about it. And that, and that was from the word go. And so I always feel UE's helped support me through experimenting with some of this stuff and I've been really lucky to have worked with a lot of people who've, who've embraced it um, and we've worked together on these sorts of projects where we're able to bring the visual into assessments and teaching and research and that's just been great so so I think again if you're surrounded by people that can help support you um, in that way I think is it, that's really important. I'm just wondering um uh, both Harriet and Rob, um, given the kind of interesting, uh, in, Harriet, in your case, this kind of weaving in into your professional self, um, this artistic part of yourself that, that we've just been talking about. And Rob, from your point of view, um, uh, you mentioned uh, thinking about prospective audiences and how to get more followers and how to get more engagement. These are the kinds of processes we often associate with our professional selves as well, really, although I'm sure Sam will dive in here in a few minutes uh, to, to bring us that serious leisure perspective as well and the ways in which that comes into a serious leisure career. I suppose my question is, in that context, um, how do you uh, maintain your artistic um, space as one that can recharge you and still continue to give you a place for, you know, for relaxation, for, for the kinds of things we, we need to use leisure for with our pressured lives? Are you able to do that? And if so, how are you doing that? If these two things are kind of blending together, Harriet, in this really interesting and effective way, or Rob, if in fact, there's a part of you that's, that's really operating with a sort of professional paradigm around your drawing and work. So how do you, how do you get your leisure to, to still help and support you and give you this sort of safe boundary space away from professional pressures? Is it working like that? Rob, would you like to jump in there? Yeah. Um... Yeah, so, uh, you know, so as I say, I mean, I've got this small sort of shed um, in the back of the garden, 
um, a studio, yeah, and I'm a bit of a um, early bird, so I tend to be up every morning at about um, six o'clock, which is a little bit sort of sad. And I, I tend to find if I'm doing any um, writing or any anything at all, I tend to work really well uh, uh, in the morning. So often I'll actually sort of, you know, um, I'll go up there, and that's where I can often do sort of work uh, in the mornings. Um, but yeah, for sort of me. Um, I don't want to use a sort of a cliche term, but I feel that it's actually a really a sort of part uh, 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 of me. I don't sort of really sort of see doing the artwork as a sort of a separate thing. I actually often sometimes have a sort of physical need to, I know, sorry, I'm sounding all, but I have a physical need to actually uh, create. I have, you know, I, I mean, I'm sort of doodling and drawing on things. I mean, I've been drawing on walls. I've been, seriously, literally, I've got one half of my actual, um, studio I've actually used a acrylic a pen and drawn on 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 the wall um, I use yeah I mean I also try and sort of use this as well in my um, teaching so uh, one of the things I've said before when I'm teaching uh, 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 anatomical stuff will actually get students to physically draw the uh, uh, musculature you know uh, uh, on themselves um, yeah, so always for, for, for sort of me, art is not a actual um, either or, it's actually part of the whole thing, you know, yeah, it's a creative process. And, and sorry, yeah, and just one sort of quick one. I went to a very interesting talk at one of the advanced HE conferences, and they spoke about academic boredom. And for me, that was absolutely key to all the things I try and sort of do. So when I'm involved in teaching seminars, any of these kind of things, try and make the work we do, make it not a boring, because there's nothing worse than actually boring um, students or getting or making students bored. So, so that's anyway, sorry, that's going off on a bit of a tangent, but trying to be creative and trying to do things differently. Yeah. That's that's really my take. Okay, so I have about 14 pages of notes, so bear with me, okay? So obviously not said a great deal up to this point, but believe me, I'm, I've been making lots and lots of notes. So much interesting detail in here in terms of the, your, your various kind of professional lives and how that's interwoven with your, your, your leisure pursuits. Uh, I mean, from a serious leisure perspective, what we're looking at here, what we're, we're looking at... Uh, what are effectively very specialized hobbyist activities which are craft based right so um and within that you've got those uh the different elements of that in terms of specialized skills and techniques whether and media all of those different kinds of things but what i'm really interested in uh in hearing in, in both of your descriptions are the, the the means of expression but the first the first point i want to make is <laughs> one of my first notes on page one of 14 uh was rob your point around well i i feel very strongly that you know art is for art's sake um you know and it's that's really the motivation is just to do it that that's an, there's an autotelic that to, to give that a a, a kind of a, a way of understanding there's an autotelic flavor to that and what we mean by autotelic is it auto is self and telic is goal. So it's a goal unto itself in terms of the doing of the act of whether it be quilting or uh, cartoonist 
you know, the drawing the cartoons or whatever. It, it, fundamentally, it's about just the doing of the, the core activity. But in the doing of the activity allows you to do different things. So you've both talked about, um, I, I've made notes around, you know, it's a form of communication for both of you, but in different means. So communicating ideas around PhDs or, or connecting ideas and Rob trying to communicate in different ways through different media. Uh, what it also is, it's, it's the different means of representing those ideas and your work and yourself. Different ways of acting as professional or as artist or you know, different ways of doing that. And different forms of expression, expression of a certain expertise in a certain medium, as well as a, uh, your, a expression of a certain facet of your identity in relation to that. And I also wanted to pick out this idea of, and you were, you were both very clear on this, I think, in terms of, well, it, it is, it's about me and it's for me. And there's an element of authorship in all of this as well. So, you know, I'm the author of the work. And, you know, so it comes back to the idea of identity, which is a core component to Serious Leisure, is we identify very strongly with the core activity, but the activity, i.e. what I was talking about earlier on about the that autotelic nature, in the doing of the activity, it becomes an expression of who I am and you know what I deem to be important and valuable and how I want to be seen and another really nice point that uh, Rob was making about well am I doing this for likes in terms of you know being accepted by other artists in terms of the the quality of my work or the nature of my work and you know in serious leisure serious leisure pursuits typically built around a, a unique social world and a, and, a, and a unique ethos within that social world um, and that acceptance and recognition through those social worlds is often an element of that. Uh, but is it, is it a core motivation? Well, I, you know, I would suspect based on your first point that you made and you started talking, well, probably not. And certainly not for Harriet, because it was something that you kind of reclaimed as a form of maybe expressing a more authentic representation of who you are. So I, I guess, you know, we're picking out all of the key components here. There's certainly a need for perseverance and significant effort in terms of honing those skills and techniques. And you've left parts of that and come back to it. And that kind of enduring kind of non-linear leisure career-like involvement is there for all to see and how you've expli explicated that and, and, and talked about that. But a question I wanted to ask then uh, of both of you uh, after all of that is how much of this is about reclaiming a sense of identity in relation to pursuing this serious leisure pursuit alongside your work or how much of this is about exploration you know so the art of the possible because i can hear both kind of in what you're saying but i do i would be really interested because that's part of navigating that relationship between leisure and work isn't it in terms of well, you know, what part of my identity am I trying to express here by doing this? And I just wonder, I just wonder whether you wanted to make a comment on that and whether whether it is about reclaiming a part that's lost or whether it's about exploring new parts of yourself that are maybe more authentically you. I'm kind of opening that up to the to the room, I guess, in terms of Rob or Harriet wanting to jump in. I, I really I can kind of hear both in what you're saying, but again. I'd be interested in your views and thoughts. Yeah, I think um, that that yeah, that's a really interesting question, and it's um, 
yeah, it's only when people start asking you these sorts of questions, isn't it, that you start to uh, think about it um, in more depth. Um, I mean, for me, um, definitely reclaiming a sense of a, a sense of my identity that was lost. I think that's that's front and foremost for me um, because, as I said at the beginning, you know, being creative and this. Um, aesthetic appreciation for for things is an inherent part of who I am and I can see myself now and all my professional interests and all that I write about and all that I do and all that I'm interested in um it all started when I was a child and 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 so you know I mean I'm interested in workspace and place and materiality of work and all this kind of and objects and where people put things and I mean, I moved my bedroom around nigh on every week. I think my parents would come in on a Sunday morning and just be like, oh, right, okay, you know, what's what's happened in here? And, you know, I suddenly I needed another extension lead or some blue tack or, you know, and I was I was arranging my space. And I think there was something there that got lost and then re-emerged. And it was the same with with practicing art and it was the same with visualizing things. There was a weird dip of resentment embarrassment um something being squashed out of me I don't know it was just sort of not good and I remember looking at things on social media for example and and being resentful of other artists and being resentful of and thinking oh yeah okay well crowded market you know whatever and looking through and actually now I you know all I follow on Instagram artists and textile artists and people who work with mixed media and people who love Liberty fabrics and do weird things with them, love all that. And now I'm not resentful. I'm happy and I'll happily look at those things and it makes me happy. Um, so I think there's, there's a, a reclaiming and a centering of, of that and an appreciation for balance that I think I was out of balance for a while. I was all about doing and action and goals and targets and driven and I guess none of us can really get away from that because we work in in higher education and academia so we are very driven by that and I think that's a problem because we lose the other side of us which is contemplative and still and reflective and and often arts-based creative practices are in that space and not the mad doing of emails and all this kind of stuff so I feel like that reclaiming has also centered and balanced me as for the exploration of the art, art of the possible um as soon as you said that I'm not sure whether this is what you meant but as soon as you said that I thought actually there's a bit of that in what I do in my research where I'm exploring now how much the organizations that I work with in research for research purposes for research projects how much are they up for changing how much are they up for embracing the visual um i mean i was talking to microsoft the other day with a picture you know that i'd drawn again didn't take a powerpoint slide <laughs> took a picture and we had a really cool conversation about hybrid working technology and we just looked at the picture and and that was a really cool networking interesting conversation and so actually um there's space for exploration and bringing this and again, I come from a business and management perspective in, in a business school. So it's very much like, actually, let's let's do things differently and explore what the visual arts have to offer for these sort of serious business people that we think might not like them. Because secretly, I think they do. 
that's that's really really interesting i just want to jump in here before rob uh comes in for for his side because can't let it pass you were talking about contemplative practices you were talking about balance um and slowing down and i think how how much of this is about exactly that it's a slower mode of being you know in terms of you know it's not that we're on a it's a meritocracy in, in higher ed in academic practice you know it's fast-paced it's linear it's all of these different kinds of things that we've been talking about and actually it's counter to how you've been describing that but so for me i'm, th I'm sat here thinking well yeah this is about slowing down it's not a new concept by any stretch but you can't rush what you're doing you can't rush you know these different forms of expression and, and exploration particularly when they're an authentic representation of who you are so i really really like that i just want to make that point before we move on uh rob you want to jump in here i think that's probably going to be our final final comment yeah so um yeah so i think for me the key word is some authenticity um, and I know that's one of the terms that we've actually used uh, previously so um, I published a book last year called um, Stand Up and Be Heard which is basically all about public uh, speaking because one of the things I was actually saying you know with all my sort of speech and all of those kind of things and I also did all the um, illustrations in, in the book which was a really really nice sort of thing but my whole thing about whether we're doing art, whether we're doing teaching and um, learning, whatsoever I'm actually doing, I really want to be um, authentic. I don't want to be um, perfect. Um, and I think that's one of the things for me has been a sort of underlying process in all of my teaching and learning. And I know that one of the things that I've actually said sort of um, previously is this all this pressure of students or to be uh, perfect and all this pressure of like us in our work to be uh, perfect and that actually goes for sort of art you know the whole thing Sam that you also saying I think we should be doing art for arts as sake you know how can we judge whether a piece is actually good what do we actually mean by that and I have a real struggle when they grade students this is going to be a little bit controversial but I have a real struggle with the sort of grading for students in a GCSE or for sort of um, A-levels. You know, I mean, one person's idea of good art is absolutely atrocious to um, somebody else. So it's a whole sort of subjectiveness. It's a whole personalizing. It's a whole a meaning. It's all of these things that are actually uh, 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 intertwined. So yeah, so linking to sort of reclaiming, linking to um, exploration, I think, for me, I'm always um, exploring. I'm always exploring as well in my um, I'm learning. And, you know, I mean, I did a PhD on my fascial pain and my students always laugh when I actually say to them, I did a PhD, I spent six years in my fascial pain. I haven't got a clue about what the actual subject's about. And they all look at me and think, what's he actually talking about? And it's this whole thing about learning. It's a whole thing about exploring and i think that's what art also when you start when you've got a blank um canvas do you always know what the actual outcome is um, going to be and when you actually delve into it you go down avenues and you go down things that you hadn't planned and the same thing i suppose could be argued for some of the things that we do in um, teaching and learning even though we've got lesson plans etc etc things actually change thank you rob
Harriet, what are your current plans for your kind of merging of your different parts of, uh, of your career? We, I haven't preempted that, that question, but is there anything on the horizon that you want to share with us? And it's fine that if you say that you've shared um, everything you're currently involved in. Yeah, I mean, I think um, my plans uh, at the moment um, kind of go back to one of the questions um, I think that that Kat um, uh, talked about earlier, which is, you know, how do you find time to have your artistic pursuits be part of sort of, sort of relaxing and um, and that kind of thing? And so uh, as I sort of head towards August, um, I I plan to spend um, much of August in my wonderful craft room that my wonderful husband uh, created for me uh, last summer. He gave me most of the garage um, and uh, converted it into a craft room, probably because he wanted all the stuff out of the house. So he didn't want any ceiling or bags of fabric and buttons. And um, I posted a picture of the craft room on Instagram after it was finished and everybody commented on how lovely it was, but also where the hell was all that stuff before before you had the craft room? Um, and uh, yeah, one wonders. But, um, but no, I plan to spend time there um, making things for me and that aren't related to work but I do have to work quite hard on that um I did find myself at a a freehand machine embroidery course um a couple of years ago and uh as part of my leisure pursuits and I found myself doing a freehand machine embroidery picture of Bristol Business School uh, no less, um, as a response to me making sense of a project that I had just, a big research project that I'd just done on the building, a big post-occupancy evaluation project. Um, and I found myself just making this picture, try again, it was almost like the PhD quilt, kind of representing findings around transparency and visibility in, in workspaces um, in thread and different coloured threads and all this kind of thing. And I, I did sit there and think, what are you doing? Like, why, why do this? Uh, because I was still really connected to work. And I find myself in these artistic pursuits, often in those bits in between those liminal spaces. And for a lot of academics and a lot of people working in higher education, August is like a bit of a breathing space. I say bit because I am aware that we all teach all the time and there are always boards and always resets. But there's a little bit of a dip. And I always find myself going into it making something that's sort of related to work thinking why are you doing this and then I'll spend the rest of August making nice things that, that don't have anything to do with work so last year I made some fabric birds this year I'm going to make some fabric tulips um, for no other reason than they look lovely so I'll do I'll be doing that Thank you both. I think this will be one of the podcasts where we will see if we can include some hyperlinks to some of your arts um, and accounts so that um, that, that um, those our listeners can, can also have a look at what we've been talking about. Thank you so much to, to both of you for, um, for sharing um, your experiences with us. So formal thanks to our guests, Harriet Short and Rob Greve and our regular contributors, Kat Branch and Sam Elkington, for a fascinating conversation. <laughs> Thank you to our wider podcast team, Julia Denman and Helga Ganostadir. Goodbye, everyone. Until next time, when we continue to talk about leisure, work and well-being, and what we can do to engage with leisure seriously. Goodbye. Goodbye.